Bringing you the latest thinking and developments from the international B2B marketing space, this is BBN Mixtape. And mixing it up for us today is Ed Davis. Hello and welcome to BBN Mixtape. I'm your host, Ed Davis. Today we're joined by two people, uh, which is a rarity for us. Uh, the first person is Nikos Lamanas, who is Principal Consultant for longtime BBN partner Luxid, uh, which is based out of Finland. However, Nikos is currently resides in Austin, Texas. Nikos, how are you? Hello, Ed. I'm very well. Good to speak to you again. Good to have you on. Um, and this, this podcast is actually the third installment of our three-part series about international companies coming and setting up shop in the United States. The first two episodes were made available previously and cover business culture in America and key trends to be mindful of. But we also wanted to bring someone on who has actually led a business that's set up in America and has been successful. That's a key critical component of part of this discussion, being actually successful. So we brought on a great guy, a Scottish guy, Gordon McKenzie, who I think based on his accent is from East Texas. Gordon, how are you? Fine. Good morning to you, Ed and Nikos. Yes, very East Texas, about five thousand miles. That's right. Uh, actually, by way of of, of Northern Scotland, uh, up in Renness Way. So um, we're really happy to have you on the show, um, Gordon. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself, the industry that you work in, and what your role has been in the couple businesses that that I know you've helped uh, make successful in the U.S. Yeah, sure. Um, I hate to say, firstly, this is my um, 40th year in the oil and gas industry, so some of your listeners are probably thinking he's old. I prefer to describe myself as maybe seasoned or experienced. I think that's a better term. That's exactly right. Um, Actually, I transferred from the the UK um, about uh, 20 years ago, maybe 20, 22 years ago to uh, Houston, Texas. Um, uh, with my wife and at that time a young daughter, not so young anymore, of course. Um, for over 30 of the years in this uh, industry, I've actually worked at two of the, the largest three um, oil field service companies. Uh, one small independent service company for which I actually managed the sale of said company to one of those majors, and uh, currently a small privately held um, engineering um, and manufacturing um, company of specialized equipment. Um, On the the topic of kind of starting a business, after leaving a previous role in 2017, I did have the honor of opening an an LLC here in Texas, uh, which was to enable the expansion of a small UK-based service company uh, here in the states, and so what? So, so that's formative, of course. Now, do you think that having been at sort of the larger companies, how, how did that help when you were sort of the the one man show and and helping set up the LLC in the US? I'm actually not so sure it did help. Interestingly, okay. because you know. Uh, when you're, you're with a larger company, you look around and there's a support infrastructure there. You know, you've got legal, you've got IT, you've got finance, you've got all the, the support functions. Uh, when you're setting up um, in, in the US, I found that every time I looked over my shoulder for one of the support functions, it was actually me. 
Uh, I, I joke, <laughs> really, I mean, I joke on a Friday afternoon that I, I clean the toilets and, uh, you know, it's actually true. I mean, you, you, you have to muck in. And it's interesting as I've been here, I've seen a few people move that have struggled coming from major organizations to smaller ones because they're, they're not used to actually doing the work themselves, so to speak. They're more used to uh, coordinating it and handing it off. Sure. So, yeah, good experience. Don't don't get me wrong, good business experience. But I, I would suggest uh, a, a quicker uh, learning curve doing it on your own. So within that, what would you, you know, 10, 15 years on, 20 years on from, from doing that in the first instance, what do you... What would you say now, if if Gordon of today could go back then, what's the one piece of advice that you could say to, to Gordon a decade ago or so? Um, certainly don't think you know it all. It's probably a very good, good part of it. Um, and, and really, seek advice. It's, um, it's very easy to think you're uh, on an island when you're doing something like that. And yeah. that the, there's... You have a network already. You probably have mentors if you've been doing it long enough. There's no harm in asking them for their advice and, and for for going through various um, groups and things to, to get that advice from. Um, also, you know, you think, maybe back to the last point, about the business methodologies you think are very similar. But quite frankly, they're, they're, they're very different from, from a large to a, a smaller organization. And I thought unbiased help there was was very helpful from colleagues, networks, mentors, etc. The other one that was very interesting was with the larger organization, of course, you you held the P&L and you thought about it. But, you know, there there was a big bank account behind you that could support a lot of it. Uh, In a smaller organization, cash flow is king. Um, cash flow for continuing business and, and, and needs has to be managed carefully. In my business, cash out to my vendors, etc., tends to be, you know, typically 30 days, um, pretty average. Yep. Uh, but collections can lag this anywhere from 60 <laughs> to 120 days and even longer in certain situations. So um, you really have to have a, a scenario where you can bridge that gap which means um, making some financier uh, friends along the way. And I think something I'd say for coming to the States, again, my experience is predominantly Texas, but the LLC I now um, uh, work for is based in Montana. So don't assume all states are equal. Um, There's different jurisdictions and many have different, you know, laws, taxes, regulations, etc. So don't just make that assumption that it's, uh, you know, one size fits all. And from a personal perspective, this was one my wife and I certainly learned. Don't take the first answer you receive when you're seeking that information. We very quickly <laughs> learned to seek three separate answers and uh, take the majority answer as probably being more accurate than a singular First answer. Yeah. Well, so this is this is good to bring Nikos in for 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 some of his questions. Nikos, you're certainly experiencing that both on a personal and professional yeah. level because because you're less than a year here, right? 
For sure, yeah. The, the, the things you're saying here, Gordon, res- resonating really clearly. It's interesting you say about not all states being uh, equal. And, uh, and, and I suppose, based on your experience of opening that company in the US, specifically to expand the operations for, for the company in, back in Europe, and on what you've seen working with partners, working with customers, etc. What 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 do you see that companies don't get right when they're opening up in the US? What are the biggest mistakes they make? It, that, it, that's a very interesting question, um, and it's a difficult one to answer. And again, I can really only put it on my personal perspective and some of the people I've, I've talked with. But I think one of the mistakes is, is possibly trying to operate under the principles of the culture you're experienced within. Doesn't necessarily fit. Um, you know, you need to learn about the culture that you're moving to, which may be significantly different. Um, and also, this this one for me, sticking to generally accepted business principles, especially at the start. There's a myriad of platforms that will be out there advocating for you to adopt their opinions of new trends and business philosophies, etc. And, you know, at the start, you know what your own strategy is. You know what your value proposition is. Um, so for me, I would say, you know, there's certain basic tenets to, to business that um, continue to be value-added no matter where you are or the climate you're actually in at the time. You know, ease of doing business with, ability for your customer to speak to somebody live in real time and when they want to. And simple, supplying a product that's efficient, effective, and provides an economical solution to their needs. Realistically, it's simple. Your product or service being available and doing what it says it does on the wrapper. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you bring up culture, though, and you know, in, embedding yourself into that new culture and not, not assuming that what you knew before is going gonna, is gonna to work when you move across. It's a real balance, isn't it, having that leadership support from from HQ, wherever HQ is, and keeping that cultural consistency within the company, the DNA that, that, that makes you what you are, but allowing that freedom for a new market to have relative autonomy and grow in its own in its own right. And I suppose on that, what what do you think are the big things when you're coming into the US about business culture that people in business should should know and, and, and really, really kind of focus on when they're coming in? I struggle with that one a little bit, Nikos, because in fairness, it's you know 20 years since I left the business culture of the UK, although I have been back to the smaller company, so I may be perceiving that a little bit as stuck in the past. But in the places I've lived and worked, I've recognized what I think are, and maybe cultures isn't the right word, but three distinct attitudes towards work. I came to the U.S., and, and again, basing it primarily on my, my Texas experience, it has more of a, a live-to-work vibe about it. You know, the expectation is 24-7 availability. I personally don't remember the last vacation or holiday time I took where I wasn't constantly scanning emails or answering phone calls or, or thinking about work or actually working, you know, Previously, you could take three weeks vacation. One week's a luxury here, I would say. Um, but on the flip side of that, I'm actually working for a, an Australian entity right now. And I, I think that's totally the, the, the opposite scenario. They have a work-to-live attitude very much with, with free time being valued. And uh, it, it's interesting to try and find somebody during that, that free time. 
And the UK, my experience now is they're somewhere in the middle of that. They, they were more on the work to live, but now they're going to the live to work. So um, the other factor to that is the older I'm getting, I'm not sure that the live to work that I've experienced for the last 23 years is the most efficient or productive model or even best for your health, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, you know, it, 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 and we did, you know, the first, the first episode or the first part of this series is talks a lot about culture. Um, and I think Nikos, you and I are in agreement. You, you could probably do, and I'm sure there are podcasts that, that talk specifically about the different cultures, business cultures and, and probably do it better justice than, than we ever could. But, but I am minded about sort of decorum and culture and, and that, and how all those things affect a business. And, you know, I, I was, you know, before we started recording, told, you know, a little bit of a funny story about a night out in Inverness. Um, another story that comes to mind is on one of my very first trips to, to, to the UK, I was in our UK office um, and I, I got there really early and something had happened overnight and I got a couple emails and something didn't go my way or something like that. And I was surrounded by a couple interns and, and, you know, sort of new starts and account coordinators and, and whatnot. And somebody walked in and said, Hey, Ed, it's, it's nice to meet you. How are you doing? And I said, well, if I, ha- if I'm being honest and mind you, it's like Tuesday, right at nine 30 in the morning. I said, if I'm being honest, I'm pissed. And the interns perk up and they're like sort of chuckling and talking to themselves. And I didn't think anything of it. I was, I was mad about something. Come to find out, you know, they're chuckling because obviously that, that, that inferred that I was drunk already at nine 30 in the morning, though. I think there's a, there's a, I don't think I quite said it the way that you should. So, you know, based on that, is there, is there a couple sort of funny anecdotes, Gordon, where, where maybe, you know, you, going to Australia or being here, you, you've gotten the, the cultural cues incorrect? Uh, definitely. I have two that specifically always come to mind. The, the first one is, and I think this is good, um, it's far more of a, a winning mentality in the States, I would suggest. Um, everyone here gets a participation trophy, if I can put it that way. Uh, and that really seemed to me to accelerate after the kind of no child left behind campaign under George Bush's presidency. But I do think there's a, there's a great upside to that positive reinforcement. Certainly worked for my daughter. I believe she benefited greatly from it. But my example of that, my school days, um, my parents' reaction to me coming home saying, maybe I say I got a B in, in math, you know, it wasn't uh, at a boy, it was um, um, what happened to the A. It, it, was, always, it was almost <laughs> negative reinforcement, whereas what I see here is that there's celebration of the B, not condemnation of not doing better. And, you know, that, that's a very different, different approach. And the second one is more, more along your lines, Ed, and um, I do think it's very important where you go to learn the correct vocabulary is certainly where it can be embarrassing. Um, George Bernard Shaw, I think it was, who said, the UK and the US are two, we're two countries separated by a common language. <laughs> I think that's a very, very true statement. 
Um, I knew this coming from the UK to the US, but didn't recognize all of it. And, you know, Hannah was, was seven or eight when we came here, close to the beginning of the school year. And one of the first things you know, you know is you get the list of stuff that you need for school, all the, the yep. rulers, the pencils, all that kind of stuff. So we went out for the shopping trip, the, the, the family together, and, and we did all that. And then we end up sitting in a department store somewhere because the wife's obviously got to get a new dress or something as well. So she's in the changing rooms doing her stuff. Me and Hannah are sitting there, and a sales associate comes across and starts speaking to Hannah. How are you doing? Oh, I'm having a great day. And, you know, what's in your bag? What have you been buying? Oh, we went shopping and all that. And, uh, you know, I've got pencils, rulers, and, and Dad bought me a rubber. And I, <laughs> you know, I think I was almost on a sex offenders register at that point because you know a rubber here is something totally different. Where here it's uh, an eraser, and I won't go into detail, but you know it's very easy to be misconstrued, and and um, there's a business examples of that as well. They're they're not so funny; they're a bit more impactful. But um, I, I think that's. Uh, I hope that helps. That's 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 a fantastic, a fantastic story. No, but it is it is the nuance. You know, we didn't really talk about this much in in that first, in in either of the first two parts. But there is this nuance of language that you actually have to take into account, um, and and that's not just the English or the Scottish or Australians or Canadians for that matter, coming to the U S who all are, you know, those are English based societies and cultures or vice versa. You know, I, I'm, I, I do love, and Nikos knows this is true. You know, I, I, I've loved my time when I've gone to the Nordics, Finland, Sweden um, in particular. And, and there's just times where I think that they, they believe they're saying one thing, but they don't quite get the tone just right, or they don't quite get all of the the clauses or you know the the, the whatever correct in their statement, and it's just that little bit off. And you go, uh, I think I know what you mean. You, you said all the right English words, but they weren't in the exact right order. So, but 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 it's really important. I think you know that is actually to me is is a learning. I think that a lot of Americans can take quite honestly. I'm I'm always quite amazed when I, when I travel, you know, the cultures and and the societies and the, and the countries who, you know, they essentially are dual language, right? I I think it's I think I'm it's pretty safe to say Nikos um all 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 things aside with Italy where they're going to ban English words and whatnot apparently moving forward. But you know, like in in Finland, I know that they learn English, right? In China, they learn English. In Japan, they learn English, right aside speaking Japanese or Chinese or whatever the case may be. And I I envy that versus, you know, here I think, yeah, okay, you can take Spanish or French or some other language in high school for a couple semesters and you tick that box. And, you know, I, 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 I do think that that's a critical component, especially in the future from a business standpoint for all you young kids who are listening try and pick up some sort of other language, if at all possible. I think that's a really good statement, Ed, because it, it expands the mind as well. You know, I, English is, is my first language, so 
if you're going to run a second language, what's the natural choice at that point in time? It, it's difficult, you know. I had to do French at school. Well, you know, I was offered French or German. I didn't really see the value. If I be, my daughter did um, Spanish here, there's a lot of value in, in South Texas and on Spanish, and obviously it's a Latin-based language, so it can help with others. But if English isn't your first language, I don't think there's much doubt at what your second language will be. And it, I think it's almost a disadvantage for us as a first language. So go I agree. expand into something else. Yep. And, the, and yeah, and the second language can't be Texan. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not real. That's right. Nikos, you want, you want to ask your last question and then we'll, we'll, we'll get Gordon out of here? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I mean, you've built businesses, and, and I, I understand with relatively modest marketing support, Gordon. I suppose my question is what's the most important thing about generating visibility? for a new business in a new territory or a new vertical? I think we're in a, a rapidly changing um, landscape on that right now. And it's become more pronounced as the demographics have, have changed. In, in the past, for, for me, you know, building that position of trusted advisor with clients was, was primarily gained by personal interaction with that client. But in today's environment, I might uh, counter that um, it's become more impersonal due to, you know, the use of electronic platforms and information sharing. And for me to market my organization, we've got to, my demographic has to embrace those platforms and make sure we're keeping abreast of how the younger buying, recommending audience are accessing the information they require to make those decisions. Um, I, I think that's very important. Um, and, you know, visibility of what your product or service can do to benefit your customers is business critical. And today you have to look at all available channels to get that visibility out there because there are so many and there's so many competing products. But again, it's also recognizing that um, it, it's probably the younger listeners who are um, becoming those buyers, becoming those advisors, and we need to make sure that they're able to get the information in the clear, concise manner they need it and not in one form. That's really interesting. We've talked about generational differences a couple of times today, and I think, Ed, we touched on it maybe in the first episode where we talked about the average age of decision makers in yep. the US compared with Europe getting younger. And and I guess that's the caveat for all the advice we're giving here is as as, as the generation of decision makers gets younger or, or we move to a new generation of decision makers, a lot of the advice we're giving is going to change, right? Because the expectations are different, the cultural the cultural habits are different. Um, and we're in that period, I think, now of, of a big change from a, a kind of old guard to a, to a younger a younger decision maker that does uh, digest information in a different way, does interact with others in a different way, has a different uh, definition of a relationship as, as we maybe had or that we, we grew up with. And, and all of that massively important in building, building business relationships and, and building business. Yeah. And I think that that is knowing what I know about upcoming episodes of the podcast and, and some of the conversations that we're having with clients and potential clients, you know, that is, that is a developing theme 
that is going to become more and more prominent as we move forward. Um, I've I've always been amazed <clears throat> at times when, as an agency, somebody who's run an agency and and whatnot, you know, you go into a room and and you have a lot younger people than you sitting on the other side of the table, you know, who are running marketing uh, departments, and 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 it's it's just getting it's just becoming more pronounced. Um, and in a number of instances, it's, it's, it's a really good thing because I think it's forcing, uh, conversations to take place that, that probably wouldn't be happening for, for years to come. Um, and it forces, you know, people who are older like myself are seasoned as Gordon would say, um, you know, to maybe learn a new trick or two, uh, as we move forward. So I think with that, I'm going to leave it right there. Gordon, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, I always enjoyed talking to you. Nikos, thanks for joining me on this three-part series uh, and for doing the original version of this, the 20-minute version for the for the folks back in Finland. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you find this episode and this podcast of value, please share it on social media. Like us wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'd love to earn a five-star review from you. Thank you, and talk to you next time. BBN Mixtape is a production of BBN. Subscribe from your favorite podcatcher for episode transcripts, links, and more. If you like this show, give us a nice five-star rating. It's how you can help more marketers find us. Thank you, and we will talk in the next episode.